Vocations by Alyssa Giles and Brother Sam Gunn. Introduction Fallen human nature has a distressing ability to turn almost anything into an idol. This includes our plans for a future vocation. Though the call to marriage or celibacy is intended by God as a gift, it can turn into something else. Even faithful Christians can lose their way, making the plan or finding the one into an almost unholy obsession. In vocations, I'm pleased to be partnered again with Alyssa Giles to restore a strong vision of putting Jesus Christ at the center of the discernment question. With God as the goal, the choice of our particular path is redirected to its proper end. There's still much excitement and adventure in the journey of discovery, but we're no longer tempted to see Jesus as an intruder. Rather, he walks with us as friend and guide. With the Lord at our side, we can't fail to find our unique place in his plan, one that is custom-suited for each of us. Chapter 1. Happiness, the Way of Truth If not now, when? Are you happy right now? Really, give it some thought. This very minute, are you? If so, that's great. If not, consider this. When do you imagine you will be happy? Go ahead and picture your perfect future. Imagine that point in your life when you expect to be completely happy. What does it look like? Maybe it's a little vague, something like married with kids or in a meaningful, satisfying career. Maybe it's super specific. I see myself on this lake, in this boat, catching this kind of fish. You don't need to overthink it. Just try to imagine when in life you expect to arrive at this kind of happiness. Put yourself there. In your mind's eye, see yourself living your ideal future. Got it? Now ask your future self this. Am I really completely happy? Back to your present self, and I have one more question. What if the answer is no? Hi, this is Brother Sam, and I'm pleased to be teaming up once again with Alyssa Giles to bring you another SPO formation book. This one, as the title says, is about vocations. But the purpose is not to point you in a specific direction. You probably won't know who, what, or where you're called to be by the end. That's okay. Our plan is to provide orientation and vision, but not answers. That's the work of discernment, which is a spirit-led skill you'll keep using and improving throughout your life. Speaking of your life, back to the question of happiness. Discuss. What does future happiness look like for you? If that makes your mind go blank, you can turn the question around. If X is not part of my future, I cannot imagine being happy. And you can fill in that X with more than one. Where it's at. There's a truth we're getting at here that hides in plain sight. It's easy to know, but hard to believe. In this life, there is no such thing as a point of perfect happiness. The human spirit always wants more. Remember when you were in grade school and you saw high school kids in your neighborhood? Did you long to be that old and that cool? Then, when you were in high school, didn't you see people in college and say, that's where it's at? Now what do you think? Speaking for myself at this stage in life, I look back at those grade school kids playing and think, that's where it's at. <laughs> the grass is always greener. Ask those who know. 
If you have some idea of your own happy future, you can ask people who are living that now. Is it marriage? Find a married couple you respect and invite yourself over for dinner, maybe even spend the weekend. Ask them about their life together. Given what you know now, would you do it all again? Hopefully they say something along the lines of yes. Then ask them, are you completely happy right now? Listen carefully to what they say. It doesn't have to be marriage. Ask the successful athlete, the entrepreneur, the free solo climber, are you completely happy? They may talk about a particular moment when they felt some thrill of satisfaction, but it's probably not a lasting, consistent kind of thing. Years ago, the new show 60 Minutes did an in-depth feature on NFL quarterback Tom Brady. This was back when he only had three Super Bowl rings. Only Tom Brady could put the word only before three Super Bowl rings. Noting this, Brady reflects, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, Hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think there's got to be more than this. I mean, I'm 27. What else is there for me? The interviewer leans in. What's the answer? Brady's response says it all. I wish I knew. My differentness. Maybe you object. That's them. This is me. It'll be different for me. Better for me. I have great plans and high hopes and deep in my heart, I know that somehow it's going to work out. If this is your reaction, you're in good company. Among the disciples of Jesus, two in particular had great plans. James and John were men of ambition, who knew they were made for great things and wanted to rock the world. No wonder the Lord called them sons of thunder. These brothers looked to Jesus to fulfill their plan for happiness, which for them was about power. This is from the Gospel of Mark. Quote, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He replied, What do you wish me to do for you? They answered him, Grant that in your glory we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. Unquote. Mark 10, 35-37 Hadn't Jesus taught them to ask boldly? <laughs> Clearly they took him at his word. And, although the Lord's answer sounds harsh, he doesn't deny their request. Just so, he points out the cost of such glory. Quote, You do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Unquote. Without hesitation, they answer, We can. In this exchange, we see the way the disciples' desire for great things intersects with the cup of Christ, that is, the cross. Also notice that Jesus doesn't discourage them from asking boldly or from wanting greatness. Our desires matter to the Lord. In fact, they matter a lot. But they don't stand alone. They stand in direct relationship to Christ and the cross. More on this later. Can you relate to James and John? Have you done something similar? Speaking for myself, when I got serious about discipleship, there was a lot of self-interest in play. I never told myself this, but somewhere deep down, I made a sort of contract with God. If I really commit my life to you, Lord, you're going to give me what I want, right? Like James and John, I knew I wanted to rock the world, and I thought I was doing it right by submitting my plans to the Lord. 
fully expecting him to uphold his part of the deal. I only realized later that I totally missed what Jesus was saying to me, much like these bold brothers. In hindsight, I've come to understand there is no greatness in God's kingdom without the cross. Discuss. Have you consciously or unconsciously said to God, in effect, I'll give you my faith if you give me happiness? If it's an unconscious thing, your reaction to personal suffering might shed some light. Like when discipleship gets hard, maybe you find yourself thinking, I didn't sign on for this. Quote, Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Unquote. There's a lot to this question for James and John, but also for us. Start with the obvious. We have, in fact, been baptized, as St. Paul reminds the Colossians. Quote, You were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Unquote. Colossians 2.12 Less obvious is the fact that to be baptized is to be united with Jesus in both his life and in his death. There is great satisfaction, peace and happiness in Christ, yes. But there are also many trials. Suffering goes hand in hand with glory. Again, we know this, but do we really know it? Personally, whenever I experience suffering, suffering that comes from doing God's will, there is a part of my brain that says, I didn't sign on for this. I need to be reminded that I did. When I chose to give my life to the Lord, I chose to accept the grace of my baptism. This sacrament I received years before I understood it came alive in a new way. My yes to discipleship is also my yes to baptism, and that means I signed on for it all, for life in Christ as well as death, including the cross. In this suffering, though, I am not alone. Jesus is present to me, and the grace of baptism includes the strength to handle any hardship. St. Paul affirms that, quote, God is faithful and will not let you be tried beyond your strength, but with the trial he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Unquote. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 The Question of Desire Going back to that scene described above, there's something else that's easy to miss. The first question Jesus asks his disciples is, quote, What do you wish me to do for you? Unquote. Mark 10.36. To make this more personal, put yourself in their place. Call to mind in faith that Jesus cares what you want. So the purpose here is to know and to name your real desires. Can you imagine Jesus looking at you and asking, what do you wish me to do for you? Before you answer, consider the one who's asking. He is, quote, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. All things were created through him and for him, unquote. Colossians 1, 15 and 16. He is, quote, the Holy One, the true, who holds the key of David, who opens and no one shall close, who closes and no one shall open, unquote. Revelation 3, 7. He is, quote, able to accomplish far more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, unquote. Ephesians 3, 20. And he says to you, quote, If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. Unquote. John 14, 14. What's your answer? What do you want from Jesus? 
Since happiness is the subject, this can't be the answer because it's too broad and abstract. The point here is to be specific, to let yourself put words on what you want. And like James and John, you can be bold. Set aside anything you feel is expected, like saying, Lord, I only want your will. Instead, try playing out some actual scenarios. Here are a few to get your wheels turning. I want you to give me the kind of family life I had when I was a kid. Or a very different kind of family life than what I had as a kid. I want to become the best in my chosen field or career. Healthcare, education, design, civil service, military. And really make a difference in the world. I want to reach a point in my life where I'm comfortable and I don't have to worry so much about my health or my finances or my relationships. I want to be famous. Not like rock star famous, but recognized and respected by people who are important to me. Before reading further, put something down on paper, or at least have a good idea in your mind of what you'd like Jesus to give you. What you think will bring you the happiness your heart desires. The Question of the Lord's Cup Now, Jesus follows your request with another question, the same he presented to James and John. Quote, Can you drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Unquote. Mark 10, 38. Before answering, consider the cup he's talking about. James and John get a closer look in the Garden of Gethsemane. Quote, Jesus took along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to feel sorrow and distress. Then he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He advanced a little and fell prostrate in prayer, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. When he returned to his disciples, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, So you could not keep watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Unquote. Matthew 26, 37-41 From this perspective, hours before the Lord's arrest, it's clear how truly Jesus spoke when he told James and John they didn't know what they were asking for. Quote, Can you drink the cup? Unquote. Now that the cup is a vivid reality, the sons of thunder are found fast asleep. So goes mere human ambition when faced with the reality of the cross. The purpose here is not to throw James and John under the bus. They failed their first test, but by the grace of the Holy Spirit, they persevered in the end. James was the first of the twelve to be martyred, and John preached until he was deported. Through the revelations John received recounted in the last book of the Bible, we discover that Jesus fulfilled their desire, though in a way they never could have imagined. So the beloved disciple described his vision of heaven when he was enduring his own passion in exile on the island of Patmos. Quote, A throne was there in heaven, and on the throne sat one whose appearance sparkled like jasper and carnelian. Surrounding the throne I saw twenty-four other thrones, on which twenty-four elders sat, dressed in white garments and with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Unquote. Revelation 4, 3, and following. The elders represent the twelve tribes of Israel and the twelve apostles. In the end, the sons of thunder find themselves where they asked to be.
So the Lord's words to them, you do not know what you are asking, have another side. While it's true they weren't prepared for the cup of suffering, they also didn't understand what power and glory Jesus wanted to give them in the end. With this in mind, how would you answer? When Jesus asks, can you drink the cup that I drink, what do you say? If you only see the suffering, you'll be tempted to say no thank you. But look beyond. Realize that the cross of Christ is also the source of salvation, of new life, of power and glory. Discuss. Have you ever seen something good come from a very difficult or painful personal trial? Did the experience change you in any way? The First Vocation The reason we named this book Vocations probably isn't what you think. The word comes from the Latin vocare, which means to be called. That's clear enough, but why is the title plural? Is this about laying out your options? No, it's because we want you to know from the start that you have more than one vocation, and you won't be very successful in some future vocation unless you understand and embrace the ones you're living right now. It's essential that we get the relationship between these vocations right. Here's an analogy. Picture the interior of a vast train station with people hurrying in every direction to catch their trains and make their connections. Imagine yourself as one of many would-be travelers who sit on crowded benches in the waiting area. Your bags are packed and ready, but the problem is none of you know where you're supposed to go. Each of you waits for some inner voice to tell you or some messenger from heaven to walk up and hand you a ticket, <laughs> and you pray to God it sends you to San Diego and not to Fargo. Many faithful Catholics, it seems, approach their vocation in this way. They consider their future life state, whether it be marriage, San Diego, or celibacy, Fargo, to hold the ticket to their happiness. Can you see the problem with this approach? It turns your life as a Christian disciple from active to passive. There's a better way to go about this, so I'll offer a different picture. Now imagine a construction site, a deep hole in the ground that holds a sturdy, well-formed foundation. The home being built is still taking shape, but the first floor is pretty far along. In fact, what stands can already be lived in quite comfortably. What has been built so far represents a life that is truly open to what God wants. It represents your life as a Christian, all of it, prayer, sacraments, virtue, faithfulness to God's commandments, participation in the life of the church, service to the poor, community, mission, and the joyful sloppy daily adventure that we call life in the Spirit. A work in progress for sure, but this is a very habitable structure. The idea here is that any future vocation to a particular life state isn't some random train ticket to happiness but rather the intentional, fruitful working out of a building still taking shape. What's the ground floor? What's the vocation you're already living and that comes before any other? If you go back to baptism and the question Jesus posed to James and John, your patience will be rewarded. Being baptized. Sometimes at Mass, it's often around Easter, we're invited to renew our baptismal promises. It's the part where the priest goes around the church sprinkling everyone with water. It includes a series of questions to which the congregation is invited to respond. Do you reject Satan? I do. And all his works? I do. And all his empty promises? I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I do. 
Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father? I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I do. If the pattern looks familiar, it's not unlike the question and response of James and John. Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? We can. As disciples of Jesus Christ, James and John, you and me, everything depends on how well we grasp the meaning of we can or I do. We're signing on for our first vocation, the one that undergirds all others. The church in our day has summoned all the baptized to make a generous response to this first vocation, the universal call to holiness. Quote, Thus it is evident to everyone that all the faithful of Christ of whatever rank or status are called to the fullness of the Christian life and to the perfection of charity. By this holiness as such, a more human manner of living is promoted in this earthly society. In order that the faithful may reach this perfection, they must use their strength accordingly as they have received it as a gift from Christ. They must follow in his footsteps and conform themselves to his image, seeking the will of the Father in all things. Unquote. Lumen Gentium, paragraph 40. What does it mean that a more human manner of living is promoted in this earthly society? Here's one way to lay it out. When we really embrace our baptismal promises, when they become our heart's passion and not something we just mumble at church, we join a resistance movement, a great company of priests, prophets, and kings who defy the false reign of Satan and live in joyful fidelity to the true King, Christ Jesus. The devil pretends to rule this earth, but the Lord has conquered him, and, to put it plainly, Jesus wants his world back, not by conquest, but by witness, by the patient, powerful, fruitful imitation of his own pattern of life. The church calls on the baptized to take up this vision with renewed urgency. Quote, the Christian sees the world as created and sustained by its maker's love, fallen indeed into the bondage of sin, yet emancipated now by Christ, who was crucified and rose again to break the stranglehold of personified evil so that the world might be fashioned anew according to God's design and reach its fulfillment. Unquote. Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 2. In Christ, we bring the dynamism of the kingdom into the gloomy monotony of a sinful world, disrupting the status quo with the inbreaking power of the Spirit. This is the universal call to holiness, our first and foundational vocation. And because it's His way, it necessarily includes the cross. Explosive Possibility How does all this map onto our ideal future? It means that Christian happiness looks different from all other kinds. Our happiness is conditioned by the cross of Christ. But if we only see the cross as sacrifice, as suffering and death, we're making a serious mistake. The cross is also the new tree of life, that is, the gateway to transformational power in the world, the only path to true and lasting greatness. Jesus didn't deny James and John their request. He pointed them to the one place their desire could really be fulfilled, it's as if he was saying, follow me through the cross and into the life I have for you beyond. You have no idea what kind of power I want to unleash on the world through you. He says the same to you and me. Only Jesus can reveal this mystery to your heart. 
Only he can enable you to understand that the cross is his generous, joyful, total self-gift that explodes the limits of this life. His cross makes the impossible possible. It's a daily reality for every disciple, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you, but neither will I diminish its glory. The cross is both painful and exponentially fruitful. It makes sacrificial self-gift into eternal treasure for us. Every time we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to love, and we say yes to the cross. That opens the way to total transformation, not only for us, but also for the whole world. The year before I made my perpetual vows in the Brotherhood of Hope was the first year my community served the Catholic campus ministry at Florida State University in Tallahassee. As one of a team of three brothers, I gave it everything I had. But around February, I hit a wall. Mission burnout, something I'd heard of but never experienced personally, took me totally by surprise. For almost a week, I couldn't get out of bed, couldn't even move my head from side to side without vertigo. Ashamed, I wondered, why would the brothers want someone like this? I can't even manage myself. Looking at the ceiling with tears running down the sides of my face, I became aware that I wasn't alone. I felt God's presence and strength. Over and over I said, Lord, I only want you. I'll never forget that lesson. It was in weakness, not in strength, that he confirmed my call. Quote, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Unquote. John 12, 24. For every true follower of Christ, there is no real happiness or satisfaction apart from the cross of Christ. Think back to your moment of ideal happiness, that point in the future you hope to reach. Think of the many steps that will lead you there and consider what this means. There is no threshold on your path to happiness, no point along the way that is not intersected by the cross. And here's the wonder. That fact is not a cause for sadness, but for joy. The first step. By naming your desires and bringing them to the Lord, you've already made a significant step on the path of discernment. You've started the bold conversation, allowing Jesus to speak into your plans for happiness. This is not, trust God and all your dreams will come true. This is, entrust your dreams to God and the truth who is Jesus Christ will fill them with his very self. Once we make a place for Christ and his cross in our vision of happiness, we're no longer waiting for the arrival of some perfect future. Hardships and setbacks become part of the picture rather than signs that something is off or we took a wrong turn. And when that happy future allows for both dying and rising, we no longer analyze every decision, every step in our life's journey to see whether it's making us more happy or less. The only thing that matters is knowing we are in God's will, enduring the many ups and downs as part of the plan, trusting Him to take care of the rest. Somewhere along the way, we make a discovery. We find that we can live with purpose in the present moment. It's an experience of satisfaction, doubt, wonder, sorrow, delight, pain, and possibility. It defies human description. Happiness, really Christian joy, becomes possible in the here and now. God has a specific call for you, to be sure, and the pages ahead will shed light on what that can look like. But it all begins with a better grasp of holiness that is grounded in a truly Christian understanding of happiness. It is to this happiness and this greatness 
that Jesus calls you. If you want to know more about such greatness, and we're talking about real greatness here, read on.